Hey everyone, welcome to the McNuttiest Dimension. I'm Chris McNutt. This is McNuttiest Podcast. Thanks for stopping by once again. I hope everybody's doing well or, you know, as well as you can possibly do the perception of doing well because deep down inside on the soul level or whatever name you want to call that, we're good. There is nothing wrong, but that's not always our experience because we're human and we like to get wrapped up in this, that, and in another thing. So I understand. So I hope you have the perception in your human experience of the moment. Things being all right. We aim for the chiller vibrations of the frequency spectrum here in the McNuttiest dimension. So some background that might be a little helpful before we bring forth the guest of this episode. It's a little bit of Earth history that kind of goes along with galactic history. Well, all Earth history is galactic history because Earth sits in the damn galaxy. So, um, But we're going to go back in time to uh, 1945. Just at the end of World War II, which was ended very dramatically with the dropping of atom bombs on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And that was a significant event in the history of humanity that reverberated not just across the earth plane, but out into the galaxy as well. And the story goes that it was a sign to our galactic friends, cousins, relatives that are out there that we're connected with, those that had been pretty much leaving us alone for the last five, 10,000 years, because that's kind of how it goes. You know, they were helping us out at the beginning. They took off. They said, you guys are, you guys good? We said, yeah, we're good. Okay. We're just going to leave you be, you know, minimal interference. We might throw a Christ being or something at you every once in a while. But, you know, besides that, we're kind of just going to leave you on your own. Until we decided to start blowing the shit out of each other with nuclear weapons. And our galactic friends out there, those that have perception to a wide, long history of humanoid life in the galaxy, know that these things often don't end well. And humans are like playing with matches. And we just might burn this whole damn joint down. So... It was the time when our galactic friends started to interact with humanity on a more active level, which has continued to this day. But the 40s and the the nuclear weapons of that time into the Cold War, et cetera, et cetera. So that project's been going on on many fronts. Many different types of interaction has been going on the past 80 years or so. And one of them, one of the projects is the Starseed Project. So apparently the call went out across the galaxy, universe, universes for souls that of a higher vibrational energy plane. The offer that was presented was for these beings to come and incarnate in human form to help humanity from the inside as human beings. Because... You know, it was tried. Spaceships did land. Apparently, presidents were consulted and beings of higher consciousness were dismissed by the 
political military leaders of the time as a bunch of space hippies who were talking about, you know, we should raise our vibrational consciousness. It's like, what kind of bullshit is that? Why don't you guys just give us some of your technology and your weapons? That would be cool. And it's like, uh, it's not exactly what we're here to tell you. Well, why don't you guys get lost? And they said, well, we might need another approach. So we're going to start sending in star seeds, which apparently happened soon after World War II. As the story goes, multiple and an increasing number of high vibrational beings that some say from this side, known as star seeds, and many, many people identify with the journey of the star seed, started coming in to human form, human incarnation, just after World War II. Now there's a catch. It sounds great. Hey, do you want to help? You have to be a human. And that means you come through the birth canal with your memory completely wiped. You open your eyes in a family. You have human emotions. You have very limited connection to source energy and perception of your past and any greater reality. It is very claustrophobic. You know very little. You start cranking out human karma, start having your own traumas and experiences that can be all-consuming without, you know, like remembering your mission and why you were here. So my guest is Carolyn Barnes, who was born in 1952 in Lancashire, England, and in recent years has come to the realization that, yes, that is exactly why she came into human incarnation um, as starseed galactic energy in the first wave of starseed volunteers who started popping in 75 years ago. Please welcome to McNuttiest Podcast, Carolyn Barnes, first wave starseed volunteer. Thank you. Yes, first wave. Um, first wave of volunteers. So describe what that, that means to you. It's obviously something okay. you kind of identify with. And yeah, what's what's yes. that story all about? Right. Well, I didn't know anything about first wave volunteers or anything about that. It's based on Dolores Cannon's teaching until about three years ago. And um, since then... Since hearing about that and realizing that, yes, that's what I am, um, it has made sense of my life on a level that I, I never could make sense of it till then. So when you say you know that's what you are, what is that thing that you are? Well, what is a first-wave first volunteer? A first-wave volunteer is um, I was born in 1952. After the end of the Second World War um, and the exploding of the atomic bomb, this put the planet in serious jeopardy. And up until then, the kind of help, if you like, from higher realms, 
higher frequencies of being was limited by the law of, well, I call it the law of free will, that they could not directly interfere because, you know, that the, the way that the evolution of humanity needed to play out was based on free will. Um, the fact that the planet itself was now in serious danger um, allowed them to interfere in a way that interfere in a way that had not been allowable or available before. And so, um, so let me interrupt here. And uh, okay, when you say it allowed them to interfere, who are they? Them, them, they. Uh, higher frequency beings, beings of higher evolution, we could call them aliens, ETs, extraterrestrials, um, beings who have been through their own evolution of this, with this polarity that we are in on Earth, the polarity of light, dark, good, bad, um, and, and so on. And, and they're um, here to help. These are, these are sort of... Their neighbors, their distant relatives, would these be right. sort of like what we talk about when we're talking about spirit guides and those yes. helpful beings yeah. is sort of in the same yes. category? Yes, I would say they're in the same category. Yes, definitely. Um, so they sent out the call to souls across uh, all the universes who were willing to come in to embodiment on the planet. Now, that might sound like, wow, you know, great, I can come and be this great person, right? But you have to come in as a human. So you have to come in like... <laughs> you have to be human. You arrive. It's a realm of karma. It's a realm of suffering. It's a realm of experiences. Right. It's very visceral. It's very dense. Yes. You're welcome exactly. to come, but you got to take that. You have on. to take all that on. And to get in here in the first place, to come through the birth canal, you go through the memory wipe. You do not remember who you are. So you experience human reality as reality. The, the whole thing. You don't remember that you are not that. So um, this whole thing, it, it's so, it, when my friend first told, a friend of mine told me about, oh, I'm going to tell you about this, this, um, you know, three waves of volunteers. And she started describing it and she thought she's going to have to like persuade me, <laughs> convince me. As soon as she said it, as soon as she said first wave volunteers, it's like, oh my, the, the hairs on my arms start standing up. Like I got this prickly feeling all over. I said, that's what I am. That's who I am. I know I'm a first wave volunteer. And was that the first time that you had that awareness or is it something yes. you've... Yeah. No, I'd never heard of first wave uh, volunteers or anything like that. Now, I did have a sense of that I was from somewhere else. <laughs> How long was that sense of, you know, being from somewhere else? How long has that been with you in your life? Since I was a child. And what was that like for you when you were a child? What, what, what was that experience? I had abilities now, and I didn't consider it an ability at the time because I was ridiculed and put down for it, you know, but I, now I see it was an ability. I could connect in with spirit realms, 
you know, I, I, I was called the absent-minded professor and the dreamer because I could sit and look outside the window at the clouds and I would be gone. Like the world around me would not be there anymore. People could speak to me and I wouldn't hear them. Um, you know, <laughs> this wasn't an advantage. Not for not compared to the normal, what we call quote unquote normal human life, you know. Exactly. I think, yes. I think now we're coming to this point where it's like, this is the thing that many of us are striving for. And you popped into the world with this 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 natural ability. So besides you having these experiences of being able to connect, did, did you have any experiences of guidance and being guided through this in any way? Um, the kind of guidance I received, you see, I and it's it, my whole life I'm frustrated by this. I am not a seer. I do not see. This is so annoying. <laughs> it has been annoying to me in the past. Because I would receive direct downloads and direct guidance, which was just be, oh, I would know something. I couldn't, it wasn't, you know, there's no way to explain it beyond that. I would just know something. Um, I didn't see visions. I didn't hear voices. It was nothing like that. But I was, what I understand now is I was very sensitive to energies. I felt energies directly. And that was true even as a child, which would make me very uncontrollable, even to myself. Like, <laughs> you know, I was very uncontrollable because I was, I was reacting directly to energy that I felt, which of course was totally not real to anybody else. And, and at the time, were you surrounded by, you know, your fellow humans, family, friends who weren't as sensitive to that? No, they weren't sensitive to it. No. So I was, I was the, you know, I was a little peculiar. I never quite fit in. Um, the feeling of being um, an alien. I mean, one way that, you know, as a child, you, you, um, you create stories to try to explain things to yourself. I decided that my mother had been given the wrong baby in the hospital. And you really belong somewhere else. So you, you, you had that feeling. Yes, I had that feeling. I did not belong here. Uh, it, it's like these people, they're, they're alien to me. They're not, you know, they don't understand me. And they get very annoyed when I don't, you know, they try to make me fit in with what they think is real, what they think is how a person should be um, and could get quite nasty about it. So how did that journey go then from childhood through adolescence? What part of the world did you grow up in? Well, I was born in Lancashire in the north of England, and when I was 10 years old, we moved to North Wales, which was in a national park, the Snowdonia National Park. Now, from the t that time on, my we moved there, my family moved there because the guidance, they wanted me there. Because for the next eight years or so, until I left home, I had this incredible and it's very hard to explain this to people who don't know what it is. But I had this really, really deep, deep, deep connection to nature during that time because we lived way out in the middle of nature. And that's also sort of some pretty ancient, powerful 
places that England and, you know, the, the Druid tradition, there's been some real deep set mystical energy in that Mm -hmm. part of the world for, for eons. And uh, so kind of makes sense. You're sitting in Wales and you were, you were soaking up some of those vibrations. Oh yeah. Um, I I, I mean, I could, this would take the whole time of the whole program to tell uh, uh, the things that happened to me during those times. Um, Did you ever feel a connection to, say, some more of the ancient energies of that part of the world? I had no way, I had nothing to connect to because it wasn't in the reality. We weren't taught about those things. Um, So I had this dichotomy going on. I could step outside the back door and I would go in the woods and be having this whole experience of something I couldn't put into words or even begin to explain and as we do uh, we tend to think well everybody else is having that experience too you know we assume but of course nobody was so the fact that I was constantly going outside and wandering around in the woods and the hills by myself you know again this this person's a little weird right Starseed control to Carol and Barnes You're going to Wales, you're gonna live on a farm Humans are messed up, why don't you see what you can do? And were some of those experiences, was it... Um, you know, were you were you in touch with fairy realms, or was it sort of like elemental realms of the? Yeah, it was. It, again, I, you know, I wasn't seeing things or hearing things. It was purely energetic, and I could be in ecstasy just from being in a certain place, like in a bluebell wood in June when all the bluebells are out. It's like, oh, gosh, it's coming back to me now, and. Um, one time we had a piano and I'd had piano lessons and I found in the piano store some sheet music and I had not heard of it before. I didn't know what it was. Actually, it was Jerusalem, which is um, the English equivalent of the American Amber Waves of Grain, that type of thing. It's very much equivalent to that. Um, it was written by William Blake, who was a, a, vision, a visionary and mystic at the end of the 18th century. And I, you know, played the melody of this tune on the piano and something opened up, like, again, it's pure energy. I wasn't seeing visions or anything. I walked outside and walked down the lane and every leaf on every plant was, it was so vivid. Like, it's absolutely, you know, vibrating with energy and it's like, and this music playing in, in, in my mind, you know, as this happened. Those, that's the kind of experiences I, I was having pretty well continuously from the age of, you know, 12 till 17-ish, really. And it was a, a solitary experience. You didn't have any totally. peers or family members to share this with? I didn't even have a vocabulary that I could begin to explain it to anybody. Because on the other hand, I, there's two lives going on par- in parallel because the other, my other life is I'm going to school every day 
we are reading Julius Caesar's dispatches from Britain back to Rome in the original Latin about, you know, what he did to the Druids and, and how they were savages. You know, that this happens over and over again. And, you know, so there's this like, the, these two worlds don't meet. <laughs> pure, pure dichotomy. So when you pulled out of it and you found yourself, say, out of the world of teenagedom and school and it was time to venture into the world as an adult on your own, what direction did this lead you? Well, I left home. I went to London University and I tell you, I completely crashed. I was in the middle of the biggest city in Britain. I had spent, you know, all these years out in nature in almost isolation. In bliss, not just in nature, but in your own energetic bliss. Absolutely. Found myself in London and I, 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 I just, I just, everything collapsed. Everything fell apart. Um, I went through a deep depression. So what was the, what was the touchstone? What was your journey to find your way back out of that? Um, poetry. I, I see Day Lewis poetry started to bring me out of it. And, um, the, the, what actually happened, well, Plus, it became it was spring, so you know we'd been through the dismal winter. We had very dismal winters in in England, um, months of dark. <laughs> spring came. Um, I found this poetry, which was really helping me. And um, I met on the foot on the steps of. I was staying in a student hall of residence, and um, standing on the steps one day as I came home, was this lady. Same age, I mean, same age, it wasn't a lady, a girl. And um, she says to me, oh, are you interested in religions? I nearly jumped on her. <laughs> yes! <laughs> she, so she said, this was my introduction to the Moonies. Plus she was from Wales. And um, so then I started uh, going once a week to hear these talks um, about the Moonies. Um, and I, really, it's a laugh because then they said, you know, the, the idea was that we were all brainwashed. Well, it was the most pathetic excuse for brainwashing I'd ever heard. I would go once a week, sit in front of a desk while another lady sat behind a desk and read out of a book. <laughs> well, if that's brainwashing, it's pretty ineffective. And she read out this, this divine, divine principle was what it was. Now, this is Reverend... Reverend Some Young Moon. Some Young Moon. And it was it's Christian-based, isn't it? It's basically Bible-based, yes, yeah. But it leads up to him being the return of the Lord of the Second Advent. That's what it all leads up to. And, you know, they, te- they when you get to chapter 12, you're supposed to, like, oh, <laughs> he's the Lord of the Second Advent. <laughs> So when you were receiving this, how did it feel? Like, how did it speak to you in this open, energetic way that you, you know, to this point are experiencing the world? It was, it was purely intuitive, you know, based on intuition. And I know this is what I'm supposed to do. I just know. It spoke to you that clearly, that this, this path, this teacher, this lineage. Oh, yeah. I had no, no doubt whatsoever. Yes, this is it. This is it. This was it. 
I mean, in 1971 in England, I would have had a choice between the Moonies, the Hare Krishnas, the Divine Light, the Children of God. Those are the obvious ones. <laughs> so just dropping acid and going to music festivals. Well, I wasn't really into that. <laughs> so, um, you know, the Moonies was the perfect one for me at the time. You know, in hindsight, I'm glad I wasn't in the Children of God um, or the Hare Krishnas for that matter. <laughs> So then I joined and um, dropped out of college, and uh, there were 26 of us in the UK at that time, 26 members. And and how long did you remain a faithful follower of, of Reverend Moon? 14 years. That's a good, you gave that, it's a pretty good run. And in those 14 years... What type of, say, spiritual or energetic expansion or experience did you go through? Well, I, I learned what it means to do a mission. A mission as like this is a task or a mission? No, our mission was to, you know, get everybody to understand that this is the Lord of the Second Advent. In other words, turn, return of Christ. And to that end... We would go on the streets and what we call witness to people. Later on, within about a year, just over a year, um, we figured out how to give up our day jobs and actually be able to do this full time by selling our little, we would print little pamphlets, leaflets, and sell them on the street. And that that was a big improvement over doing, you know, minimum wage jobs were you even one situation I was in where I had this horrible boss who was constantly trying to fill you up and this kind of thing. So I loved it. I have to say I loved it. And I loved going out on the street and, and selling these little pamphlets. And So at the time, did you deeply believe with your whole heart and soul that Reverend Moon was the second coming of Christ? Yeah, absolutely. Energy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally believe it. And did you find that that belief and that faith that did it expand you and take you to to deeper places within yourself? No. <laughs> no, it was a belief system which was like it gave me you know, looking back from this perspective of 70 years old, what I needed then was a structure and a place where I could become an adult without too much negativity being projected at me, which right. is was a perfect place to do it. As you say, if you're kind of a one of those first waves of star seeds and you're popping in here without a lot of support, you're kind of mm-hmm. here you go, first wave on the beach, floundering around, figuring stuff out. Mm-hmm. It was an environment that that at least fostered that spirituality and acceptance and you were able to blossom in the way you need it allowed me yeah absolutely it allowed me to um build up um see you talk about giving up the ego but you can't give up what you haven't got so i needed to be able to build up some self-esteem self-worth a a, a sense of, of identity that i hadn't got because all my whole time in wales i was in this other world really like amorphous spiritual energies I didn't, I hadn't been able to develop that in, in that situation. And so my years in the moon is that's what it was doing for me. 
because I found I was really, really good at, you know, selling the pamphlets of getting members, new members of doing the fundraising. I could do all. I was really good at it. So, so a theoretical question here then with this, this experience of yours as like coming in as a volunteer Mm -hmm. and you know, one of the descriptions of this density of human form, we have that really strong ego mind consciousness that really holds us in is like this anchor that holds us into this level of reality. Did you find that yours was as strong as, as say the rest of us? And did you still find that experience of like, you still had a real strong ego sense of self and identity from the get-go in human form? Well, no, I didn't have it at all. That's what I, that's what I developed in the Moonies because I didn't have it at all before because, um, because of my family situation, you know, being the um, the weird one, my mother and I never bonded from the right from the get go. She was nineteen years old and um, got married at eighteen. She didn't have to get married. I, I actually I checked that because when I was you know starting to deal with the shadow stuff, I looked that up because why does she hate me so much? I thought well maybe she had to get married but the dates aren't right, not unless she had the longest pregnancy on record. So <laughs> um, just trying to figure all that out, that that was also what I was able to do. I had a container while, of safety while I was in the Moonies where I could start to take the lid off all that stuff and deal with it, begin to deal with what that was all about. Um, but when I left home 18, I did not have a sense of self, of, of, of ego identity um, at all. I mean... I would have been hard put to defend myself from anything because I didn't have a sense of having any right to do that. So then let's take it from your 14 years in the Moonies and what was that journey sort of, what was the, what was the next phase? Because there's a few chapters in this story. So maybe let's, let's move into the next one. The next part was when I left the Moonies, which was not easy. I can tell you after 14 years, the only people I knew were all the Moonies. I joined at 19. I'd never held down a proper job in the adult world. Um, so, but I couldn't go on with it. I mean, I had reached that point where I knew I could not continue on this. It was, dri it was driving me crazy. I had to get out. My feeling was I... I've got to, you know, I've got to make my own life. I have to make my own choices. So, but leave, leaving was quite traumatic for all those reasons I just said. And because um, we had strong connections between us all. We felt like family and suddenly I'm not in the family anymore. Suddenly you're out on your own. It's, it's It can be a little traumatic. <laughs> but... I had not. I had gotten off the train when I left the church. We used to call it the church, and I was in Denver, Colorado. And I flew home to England, got the train from London to Manchester, where my brother was. Got off the train in Manchester, and on the station, right there in front of me, was this poster of Elizabeth Clare Prophet. She was the messenger of the Great White Brotherhood of Ascended Masters. That's uh, quite the title. Yeah. The, going back to, um, it's rooted, the, the whole, that lineage was rooted in um, going back to Annie Besant, um, 
what's the other woman's name? Sort of like the Theosophical Society. The Theosophical yeah. Society, yes. That was her. That was her lineage. And was she in Manchester at the time speaking? She. It was a. It was a poster for a, a lecture tour that she was doing within the next couple of weeks. And as soon as I saw it, I'm going. I'm not going to miss that for anything. I'm going. So that's how the next the next step began. And uh, so I became heavily involved in that group. And I went to, um, in 1988, I went to the um, ranch that they had in Montana, which was uh, the mystery school, it was called. And so and I what were there. the teachings like? What what's the, were the core of the teachings or the practices? And how was that sort of, how was it different from what you had been doing previously in the moons? It was quite a bit different but not too different in that it was beyond my reality. <laughs> I mean, it's the, the, you know, the, the Theosophical Society um, branched off into the I Am movement in the U.S. in the 1930s, 40s, I think it was, where the Ascended Masters would send out uh, speeches, talks um, through the mails every week or so. They got YouTube now. That was that's old school. They had to send letters. The ascended masters were sending letters in the mail. Yes. <laughs> so that was the I Am movement with Guy Ballard, Guy and Lotus Ballard, and then Mark Prophet came out of their their group, and he became the messenger, and he married Elizabeth Claire Prophet, and he passed on. He was a lot older than her, and she became the messenger. And what what in a nutshell is the message or is it easy to summarize? Well, it's, it's not easy to summarize. Um, I, it's, you know, it's in the lineage of the Theosophicals. Um, ascended Masters. Ascended Masters. It's really very esoteric. It's not anchored in the physical. So what kind of practices would you do as part of this mystery school? We would do, well, we, it was mainly studying, but we would do a lot of what we call decrees. Now, this was where, okay, if you decree something, you say something as a, as a decree, then it will be. That was the theory behind it. So we had all these decrees and we would say them incredibly fast over and over and over again. And the goal was ascension. Kind of like mantras, they're like mantras because we, they were repetitive. And the idea was, you know, ultimately we're supposed to be ascending. My idea of ascension in those days at that time was, you know, Jesus ascending off the mountain. You, just, you leave your body and you go, you're gone. And I was, there were times when I was sitting there doing these decrees, you know, sometimes for hours at a time. And I'm thinking there's something missing here. There's a piece missing here. Because I know if I sat here from now until eternity. You're not going to pop off this mountain like Jesus just by saying these phrases. Yeah, this is not going to happen. There's something missing. It's not going to happen. <laughs> no amount of wishful thinking is going to make this happen. It would be nice if we just had to sit on our butts and say these phrases over and over again and then pop off the mountain like Jesus. We would have all been doing that a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, it's like violet flame decrees was one of them. 
or violet flame, da, 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 and you go on and on and on like that. And <laughs> You're saying it wasn't enough. You say there was something missing, but at the same time, was there also something there that was having some power and some transformation? Uh, well, I felt it. I felt I, it. I felt it was, and it was there at the mystery school that I first heard, you know, became aware of the whole uh, uh, concept of alien interference. Learned the story of Enlil and Enki, and the, the Anunnaki know, story. The Anunnaki story, and I tell that freaked me out. I'm glad I had 30 to 40 years to integrate that because when I first heard it, I didn't know what to do with it. It was terrifying. And I put it, I just, I put it on the back burner in my mind because it's like, I, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know how to deal with this. It's beyond But me. this was I, like one of the core sort of creationist stories or kind of not even necessarily myths that, that the mystery school worked with. No, I mean they they told us all about that to so we understood the dark side and what was the dark agenda um of of alien interference that has been happening in human history, human consciousness since you know going back for so long, long long time. Since our inception, some would say that was Pretty much, could part of it was our birth story was not so pure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, I got from while I was at the mystery school, um, I really for the first time started doing yoga, and I really got into that. So when the mystery school was over, um, and I, what happened for the mystery school to be over? Well, it was only meant you. It was a three-month course. Oh, I see. You 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 went there for three months. You completed the course of study. Three or four months, I can't remember exactly. Yes, I completed the course and stayed for the big midsummer event. And then, well, I had to go and find a way to make some money. <laughs> and you're in the states at this time. I'm in the states. They told us do not go back to Europe because this was 1988 and the Ascended Masters told us it wasn't safe to go back to Europe. I mean, if you remember 1988, I don't know how old you are, you might not. Um, I remember 1988, yeah. I was in university. Okay, well, there was, it was definitely on the cards at that time that there could have been a nuclear war. What ended that possibility was the deployment of the what were those missiles they deployed in, in England at the time? Can't remember the name. And it was of also now. the time when the Soviet Union was crumbling and Well, it hadn't crumbled. There was a lot then. of change was in the air. Yeah. It was the year after that, because of the deployment of those missiles, was what ended the 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 um, USSR brought down the Berlin Wall. Um all that happened after that. But what the Ascended Masters were telling us in 1987 and 88 was if you can possibly get out of Europe, do so. And, um, they, you know, a nuclear war was on the cards at the time. Of course, it didn't happen. Thank God, goodness. <laughs> Thanks, Ascended Masters. If you had anything to do with 
sort of circumnavigating that, popping us onto a new timeline that didn't involve nuclear war in Europe. We appreciate that. Very much appreciate that. Um, but anyway, so I stayed in the States for that reason. And um, I lived in California for three years. And then I moved to Phoenix. And during the time I was in California, I was still doing my degrees. I was doing a lot of yoga as well. I moved to Phoenix and... Um, and in general, during that time of your life, you popped in as sort of a bit of an alien with a mission as like a first wave volunteer. Mm -hmm. Had an early life of just expanded energy awareness, not sure what middle age, what was it settling into? What was your comfort level in human form and your journey and mission? Was that making sense or were you still just kind of feeling your way? Well, I would say for most of my life, I was flying blind. I mean, it was like, I, I felt like I was still seeking. I was a seeker. It wasn't until I almost died six years ago that I came back. When I came back from that, I, it's like, I, I know I'm not a seeker anymore. But at the time, you, you spoke earlier about you would get some guidance. You didn't know that it was specifically a guide, but you would, you knew things. So were you yes. still being guided along on this journey in a similar way? Oh yeah, absolutely. Cause that was, that was the central thing in my life. Just getting knowledge and you just knew you had to go to Montana. Was it same thing? You knew you had to go to California. So away you went. Well, that was kind of more practical. I knew some people in California. That's why I went there. And then um, I got involved with this guy in California and, and we were looking for to start a business. And um, I happened to look in the out-of-state newspapers in the library. Again, it's before internet. <laughs> and lo and behold... Yes, kids out there, there was a time <laughs> you had to go to the library if you wanted to find something out. Take a damn newspaper off the shelf and look up the classified sections. That's absolutely. And I was looking for business opportunities. And I looked at Phoenix and there was two pages of Phoenix. And most people, most of the places, like like two inches of column, there were two pages for Phoenix. Um, because at that time, we're talking 1991, um, Phoenix had just been through a real estate crash and everything was super cheap. It was all these opportunities. So I said, well, let, let's go to Phoenix because we wanted to start a, a restaurant. And so we got this premises for 400 a month, locked in for 10 years. <laughs> what kind of restaurant were you doing? What were you serving up? Were you serving good old fish and chips, some Birmingham style fish and chips? No, no, he was Chinese. We did Chinese food. <laughs> With a little bit of a British twist, or was it like straight up Chinese? Purely Chinese food. Um, did that for five years. Um, well, if you any if you know anything about restaurant business or had any experience of it, you know it really takes your whole life. You don't have much time left over for anything. And um, yeah, after five years, I was burned out. The relationship was falling apart. And again, my inner guidance led me to go to massage school. So I went to massage school and became a massage therapist. And it was right about that time that I, again, 
pure pure chance, I stumbled across um, the deer tribe. Then I mean, this is how much pure chance it was. Well, obviously not chance because it's guidance. <laughs> I went to my regular yoga class one evening and found out it was cancelled when I got there. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't want to go straight back home. And there's this alternative bookstore not too far away. So I go there and I'm browsing the shelves and somebody announces, oh, there's um, a a talk in the back room here on Native American shamanism. That was happening at that very time? At the bookstore that, that evening, right then. It's happening now. So I, it didn't register at first, and then they came out and said it again, and it still didn't register. And then someone comes out banging a drum. Oh, oh why don't I do that? <laughs> so that's how I met the Deer Tribe. And that became the biggest part of my life for the next 10 years. And what type of... Uh activity and uh, you say it was sort of native american shamanism was that sort of true to its form yeah absolutely um it was found the deer tribe was what they call a metis medicine society which means it's not just native but none of us were native um it was founded by this guy called swift deer harley swift deer reagan and uh we i went through something called red lodge which was um, three years of shamanic study and experience, um, which I loved. Oh, gosh, I really loved it. We did sweat lodges on a regular basis. Sun dances? Sun dances once a year. I, did, I danced twice. I was in the drum team three or four times. And how did that feel? Again, Carolyn Starseed, popping in from somewhere else you're in human form in england wales and bam you're in you're you're doing sundance ceremony with the deer tribe in arizona it was brilliant yeah this was like a really pivotal point and shift in my life um because up to then i'd still been very in 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 like very eurocentric understanding of history and all this and um and the meaning of life was very still in in the head in intellect and the shamanism will take you right out of that <laughs> will take you right out of that and um i remember sitting at a workshop once and during a break and we've been studying some really really what's the word i'm looking for subtle high energy subtle uh, subtle understandings of reality that was just, wow, off this world, I mean, off this planet. Because a lot of the native teachings, you know, they understand that there are aliens. They they call it the Star Nation people. Um, And a lot of them understand mm, that they came from there themselves originally, that these people were their guides and teachers. And, I mean, the subtlety of of the thought was just, wow. Who were the savages here? Did it speak to you? And that, as you say, this is star CD activation going on for you? Oh, absolutely. The first time I went to the Deer Tribe Center to start Red Lodge, I nearly fell apart energetically because they had a huge Sundance drum in the room. 
And, you know, like before the actual meet thing started, they were doing some drumming. And it was, oh, I can't tell you. It's like, then somebody gave me, uh, gave me a drumstick and, and let me go on the drum. And I, I could barely hold myself together. I mean, uh, the energies were so strong, so powerful. I was shaking. It was all I could do not to burst into tears. I mean, it was just like, it was so strong. And uh, all the medicine things they had up on the walls, like the buffalo heads, and it was a, a very special picture of uh, Grandfather Tom Tubez, who was the one who taught Swift Deer. It was just powerful. I was moved to my core. <laughs> it was like, it shook me to my core. And how long did you spend in, in sort of those close confines of the Deer Tribe teachings? Ten years. And was there a reason that, that you left or that it had run its course and it was just time to move on? Well, it had – I kind of reached a, a, a plateau with it in my with myself. When you start bumping up against – the power structure within the organization and personalities. And, you know, it always happens sooner or later. And I'm just not one to get into that. I'm just, it doesn't, I just, I just don't go there. You're not that human. You're in human form, but you're maybe not that human. I'm not that human. I'm really not. And it, it, so I reached that point with the deer tribe. And then lo and behold, what do I do? But in the Deer Tribe shop where we had the sweet medicine shop where all the, the shamanic paraphernalia was sold, I was there one day and um, on the counters, this book, it's called The Voyagers. And it's like one of those moments again, oh my God, I've got to have that book. I've got to read that book. Like I, I'm going to buy that book, <laughs> The Voyagers book. There were actually volume one and volume two written by Ashana Dean and she called her teachings Freedom Teachings and she brought through um, uh, incredible information, codes, levels of understanding of uh, plus the dark side, the interference, um, what has you know, what, what been happening to humans, what's really going on on inner levels with our history. Um, just incredible stuff. Was it like ascension concepts? This is, we're now kind of 21st century here now. Is this kind of Mayan 2012? Was any of that kind of wrapped into? Absolutely. Very, very much part of it because at 2012, the whole shield split apart and flew apart. Um, we, she, the, her group, we called it the shield. We were the shield, um, and I say that 2012, it totally blew apart. Um, so you were a strong follower of Ashanda Dean, and you said about 10 mm -hmm. years you were, you were working closely with her? Seven or eight years, yeah, something like that. Mm -hmm. Very immersed in the teachings, the grid work, the ascension energies, the oh, codes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. you say 2012, something happened, uh, the shield breaks, and uh, the group the group split. But before that, what was that experience? What did you find in your own growth, in your own ascension, to use, you know, the phrase of the moment as we're in all about talking about ascension these days? Uh, how did it work on you in that way? 
Well, it was very, very powerful. I mean, it activated codes in my own memory, my own sense of who I was. And is this like sense of who you are? Is this made like your galactic roots? Was was this the first time in your life where you were, were you really identifying with? Not really, not really. (laughs) I was still dealing with a massive lack of self-worth still and that was still preventing me from really being able to step into being able to say who I am like I am a first waiver or I am more than human I, I still couldn't do that because I had taken on the programming of the human self-hate program it was still there in spite of everything up to that point I still couldn't really accept who I was. So then you're speaking of that in past tense as if you accept it now. So then what has been, what has happened to you over the past 10 years to lead you to this place where you can roll in the world? I am Carolyn. I am a first wave volunteer and you have this peaceful sense of, of, of who you are. Well, To cut a long story short, I nearly died. Coming to Belize was like, okay, I would say that my guides, the people leading me, you know, my higher self, whatever you want to call it, the gloves came off. Damn, it's time. We're getting, it's time to get real. Carolyn's been embodied here for a while. She's still a little thick. She's done a lot of stuff. She's hung with the Moonies, Mystery School, Deer Tribe, but okay, it's, it's time. She still doesn't have it. She's still not got it. She still haven't stepped out of this victim mentality. So now the gloves come off. And you say you almost died? I did. Um, it, I, 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 it was so traumatic. It was so traumatic because now I'm outside my own culture. Now I, I know nobody here. Now I have no money. It was hard. Um. There was one person who, who I would say was sent literally, physically as a guide. And I did get spiritual help because I got three angels as well at one point. But um, it was really tough. And I was living in this person's house, paying rent. And the place was an absolute tip. I happened to put my foot through a plank in the floor one day. It collapsed under me. And um, I got this tiny little cut on my leg. I mean, it was not even a cut. It was a graze. Just broke the skin. I paid not much attention to it at the time. I wouldn't do that now. Believe me, living in Belize, it's a whole different... We're we're in a different reality here. And, you know, not being born here, there's bacteria and viruses here. We have no natural immunity to. A local person probably wouldn't... uh, you know, have much effect on them. Anyway, three days later, my leg swelled up and I could barely move. This friend said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll put some hydrogen peroxide on it for you, which she did. And it sealed it sealed it up. But then the infection went back down inside. And uh, she was going to come and see me to do a, um, what they call that? A pendulum healing on it. And in the meantime... Now, this is, this is why I, I know now that dying is not something to be afraid of. 
because I went into this peculiar state where I wasn't clocking reality. Like, I mean, this is obvious. I can't, I'm crawling on the floor. Um, you know, my mind isn't operating properly and it's just not hitting me what's happening. It just wasn't clocking it. Anyway, my friend arrived with the pendulum and she took one look at my leg and she got the pendulum out. And she's ridiculously funny, actually. <laughs> she says, oh, does this person need to see a doctor? And the pendulum <laughs> nearly jumped out of her hand. It went crazy. <laughs> like she needed to ask the pendulum this question. Because anybody else would just have taken one look at your leg and said, oh, my God, this person needs a doctor. I don't need no pendulum. Just get in the car. <laughs> so anyway, she says, okay, we're taking you to the doctor right now. So you did. And the lady nurse that met me at the door, I noticed at one point she gave me a very peculiar look. <laughs> like, how on earth did you get into this state? Um, but again, I, I just wasn't clocking it. I wasn't clocking it. I had no idea that I was in an altered state and that I was actually on the way to dying. Then when I got to the hospital, I'd slept for almost two days. And then when I came back, I gradually began to realize something in me had shifted. For a while, I thought I was a walk-in at that point. I, I, I think I, I, I don't think that anymore, really. I think it was just a walk-in of my higher self. Like it wasn't a walk-in from somewhere else, I don't think. Um, but there was enough of a change and a shift in my energy, like all my anxiety gone. Um, a lot of my self-worth, almost all those issues had gone. And you noticed this immediately. This was just something you noticed yourself, like waking up and all of a sudden the sun is brighter and you were just, you were just feeling Very this Very much so. I was on a certain group where we used to write things and I began to, what, what actually first clued me into it was, I was writing from the position of authority within myself that I had never done before. Oh, oh, that's interesting. So what new authority do you think this is? If you, if you use just to use that term authority, where do you think that shifted from to where? Well, because I think uh, an aspect of a higher self aspect had taken over. That's what I think. I mean, it's still me. That's good to know. It's good to know that our higher selves are still us. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Wasn't sure. Oh, very funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, it was just, I, I got rid of, you know, I stepped out of, I don't know how it happened, but a lot of that uh, self-worthlessness, worthlessness issue had dissolved. And it was almost like, you know, what are you playing around at? I mean, even just recently, um, a couple of months ago, it came to me like, you, you've been playing small for way too long. Because it was it was a survival tactic from childhood. For many of us, I think that's pretty common in the human realm. It's it, There's a lot of things that are whipping around here and come mm -hmm. and traumatize us and experiences. So 
uh, and you say so that's that's cleared, and you you have a different perception now of of not playing small. Right, and I don't need to hide anymore. Now, I heard a description of what it's like um, to come in as as not human, in a sense, that you will come in to such deep cover that you yourself will not even know. Like, you will not know that you are undercover. Like, that's how deep your cover will be. Oh, the illusion here is is it is absolutely brilliant how source light all of this is disguised from us while we have this human experience right so i think that my person well this is how i would explain it now you know as this being who came in as a first wave volunteer what are we here for to shine the light and you've got this little this is your little piece of the shadow for you to transmute that's your your bit you transmute that bit and that is what you come into and you have to go through it and experience it so that you can transmute it. It's not just spiritual bypassing. No, you got to get into the thick of it. We have to actually be in it. You have to actually get down in the mud and experience what humans experience and then wake up and then okay, that's your little piece. There you go. You can transmute that. Do you feel like that's been mission accomplished. Have you feel like you've wallowed in the mud, the human mud that you need to, to well, wallow in? And I really hope so. <laughs> what are your What are your guides still telling you? What's what, what, have, have you got any sense of that? Um, no, no, not really, not at the moment. I, I mean, just a few the last three weeks prior to this week, I went through a deep dive into back into the. <sighs> This whole polarity again. Oh, it's intoxicating. Uh, we love our polarity uh, down here. Again, you know, Lord above. It's like I lost my nerve. Certain situations and conditions happened in my life, and I lost my nerve and I fell down into it again. And it took me three weeks to get out. Better than. 50 years to get out, though. Three weeks is nothing. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So where do you sit with it now in the present? Like, what is your, having been through all of this, having this awareness that you've, first wave of volunteer, early starseed energy, how are you sitting in this current moment as we, you know, these ascension changes, these earth shift energies are, you know, you know, the dials are being turned up and, you know, things are really starting to cook around here. Right. Well, I love it. I love it. Um, no, I really do. I'm not just being facetious. Uh, I think my body is having some struggles with it, but they did say I could leave if I wanted to. And again, this is, these are, these are your, your team, your guides. This is just what, uh, yeah, yeah. My team, the whatever it is that guides me in there. Um, not even in words. It's like pure telepathy. So, so to them, like you've sort of graduated. You've done the work you needed to do. I've completed. Yeah, I've completed the first wave mission. That's what they have told me. Congratulations! Do you get a medal? Is there a ceremony? <laughs> You're going to Buckingham Palace to beat the Queen? Is she giving you a first wave medal? I should, right? I should. (laughs) 
but it doesn't work that way. <laughs> Maybe when you pop back to the other side, that's what's going to happen. You you come back to the other side. There's going to be there's going to be a band. There's going to be a parade. You're going to be in the back of a convertible. You're going to be waving to everybody. Confetti's going to be coming down the streets. Carolyn's back. First wave volunteer mission accomplished. Well, I got through it, and I'm still intact. I didn't lose myself, and I'm sure there are many who did. I mean, I know there are many who did. Um, but that's what happens with, you know, first wave of troops um, in any situation. takes high casualties. Yes. So you've, you've been told that it's mission accomplished and you could go. So where are you at with that? Are you sticking around for... Well, they said I can stay. For, if, you know, it said there's, there's more you can do if you want to stay. And I've kind of seesawed back and forth a bit with that, actually. Do I want to stay? Do I want to go? Um, overall, I think it's coming down on the side of staying. <laughs> so, but I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that is or how it will play out. I have no idea. Is there peace in your heart with the present moment? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, maybe that's all it will be. Now you get to enjoy the earth plane in human form with some peace in your heart. You live in a lovely part of the world in Belize and, and mm -hmm. that itself is, that's, that sounds like victory. You know, there's many of us still striving for just <laughs> peace in the heart. Definitely. I have that. Yeah. It's just 3D that always trips me up. It trips up pretty much everybody. <laughs> Good luck not falling on your face in 3D. Right. Multiple times. In fact, it's just wham, 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 wham is pretty much all that goes on down here. Just we fall on our face and yeah. we get up and we fall. Bam, bam, bam. Maybe you won't have to fall on your face as much anymore. Uh, I, well, that would be really nice. In fact, I reminded myself just this morning, um, it came to me, I was thinking about, you know, the, I don't know how I'm going to make a living as I get older. And um, they said, I remember, they reminded me of when they sent the angels when I first came to Belize and told me where to come, to come to here, to San Ignacio. Um, that's a whole story in itself. I don't know how much time we got left. <laughs> Well, it sounds like you're in the right place. It sounds like you have some healing in your heart in the moment. And uh, do you, as you know, as final notes, do you like any, any advice to those that are kind of on this journey? You're a first wave. They say there's second waivers. They say there's third waivers of starseed, that there's third a lot waivers. of yeah. beings incarnating mm -hmm. from higher frequencies, galactic places into human form right now to, to help with this, you know, shift we're going through in, in human consciousness and the journey is mm -hmm. uh, if, you know, from sitting as, you know, the wise elder of the tribe now, is there any wisdom to bestow on, on the younger ones going through the same journey? Uh, trust yourself. Trust your guidance. Trust yourself. Don't allow yourself to be put down by the false matrix, uh, the false matrix reality. I mean, allow yourself to see through it. Don't try to fit into it. 
be who you are, you know, accept who you are, embrace who you are. Don't take on the the false matrix need to fit in because that's all gone. It's, it's that's the old, what do you want to fit into the old war? Those guys are on the way out. False matrix is a dead end street. Yeah. So it's all to play for. It's all to play for right now. <laughs> I think it will turn out well. I don't know how, but I think it will. Thanks so much, Carla. That's a wonderful story. Uh, a wonderful journey you've been on. Um, a real pleasure to have you share that with me and with uh, other listeners here. So uh, thanks so much. It's, 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 been, it's been a real treat. Thank you. It's been a pleasure here too. This is Starseed Control to Carolyn Barnes. You've got a passing grade. And when you're back, we'll have ourselves a big parade. And the Pleiadian Queen will serve you lemonade. Planet Earth is screwed and there's nothing else you can do. Maybe we're not completely screwed. Uh, between a rock and a hard place, yeah, down to our last few chips, dealing with a big-ass pile of shit that we uh, created all on our own. But, you know, it's always darkest before the dawn. We're pulling it out of it. We got this, folks. We can deal with this. Say no to fear and polarity. A musical thank you for this episode's Inspiration to David Bowie, one of the first starseed wave of volunteers. He was born in 1947. He rocked this world his whole trip in a very starseed, high vibrational way. Another super big, awesome thank you to my guest, Carolyn Barnes, and her wonderful, wonderful story of her life so far. If you're ever in San Ignacio, Belize, Carolyn teaches Kundalini yoga there twice a week, so you can drop in to one of her classes. Uh, if you want to connect, uh, McNuttiest is all that you need to know. McNuttiest on Facebook, McNuttiest on Instagram. You want to send me a note, uh, an email to send it to yo, Y-O-Yo, at McNuttiest.com. I'm Chris McNutt. Thanks for stopping by the McNuttiest Dimension. We'll catch you next time. We'll be right